Welcome to the Panza Panza Forum. In the Yoruba language, the word panza is usually injected into poetry to express an uncomfortable, uncensored and inconvenient truth. The Panza Panza Forum is candid conversations about the life of African immigrants in America as it relates to their adaptation to their new home. While some may find it easy to integrate and can balance between retaining the original African culture while accepting the culture of their new home, many continue to struggle to find a balance between both worlds. Hello and welcome to Panza Panza Live. This is a podcast where we discuss the lives of African immigrants and their assimilation into Western society as they raise younger generations in a country that is quite different from their own. We also explore the experiences of children of immigrants as they balance the African and Western cultures. We present to you this informative, interesting, and expansive dialogue about the intricate experiences of African immigrants in America. Welcome to Pansa Pansa Live Podcast. I'm your host, Kemi Seriki, and today I'm honored to have a conversation with a fellow podcaster from Zambia, Miss Nancy Molewa Sisi. I hope I'm calling the name right. Molemwa. Molemwa Sisi, who is the host of Concrete Pasture. I was also a guest on our podcast, and I'm so happy that we met. We've been very tight since then. We recently met through Professor Bukari Sawagado, who was featured on both of our podcasts on Pansa Pansa as well as Concrete Pasture, you know, regarding his book about African immigrant experience in America. So welcome to Pansa Pansa, Sister Nancy Sise. Thank you for coming to this platform to have conversation with me about your experience as an immigrant a single parent raising two beautiful children with your selfless work that you do on your podcast, which focuses on the stories of African immigrants and many more that you are doing. I really appreciate what you're doing. And we have to continue to empower and support one another. As I always ask my guests, can you fully introduce yourself to our audience? Talk a little bit about your background to our audience as to where you were born, which it was in Zambia, where you spent most of your childhood and adult life. Thank you so much for that intro and thank you for having me on your amazing platform. I'm so grateful and honored to be here. So for starters, I was born and raised in Zambia. I spent most of my childhood in the western side of Zambia, which is Western province in Mongo. My childhood, I grew up very rural. I don't remember much of my parents being together. I think that part has been blocked. <laughs> But I like to say I meet my mom at the point, I think my daughter's age now, which is, I think, eight. I lived with her for a little bit when she was just starting her business. She was selling at the market. She used to sell tomatoes, vegetables, and then she graduated into selling like plastic cups, plates, Mm -hmm. everything. She always tried to upgrade her business and anything that they didn't have in Mongo, she used to bring it. So she would go to Lusaka, which is the capital city, and she would bring it to Mongo. And then one day she just like, she wanted to get bigger in her business. And she decided that I stay with my grandmother, which was an experience. My grandmother lived very rural. To paint a picture, I really paint a picture on, <laughs> I tell this story on Concrete Pastures. It's called My Once Upon a Time. If you've seen the movie, uh, Queen of Cartway, 
it will give you that perspective as to the type of neighborhood wow. I lived in. Mm-hmm. And the type of house that we lived in was made out of clay and mud. And wow. then the roofing always was always raining in. During the rainy season, it was just craziness. Wow. And then, long story short, my mom finally made it. So during that time with my grandmother, first, before I even go to when my mom made it, I learned a lot during that time. It was seeing my grandmother waking up early in the morning, going to buy milk in the morning, selling it. So that was the business aspect of Mm -hmm. it for me. And also just dreaming. I think she dreamed bigger than what she, Mm -hmm. she was in. It was eight of us living in that two room place. The children, she had boys and girls. So the men lived in what we cooked in. It was a small hut. Mm-hmm. We, it was also converted into a kitchen mm. uh, during the day. Mm. And we ate in one plate. If you were not around, <laughs> that's it. You missed your meal. That's right. <laughs> it was just, you know, when lunch was lunchtime, you know, when dinner was dinner time, breakfast. I hated everything. To be honest, as a child, you hate almost everything that you mm-hmm. is brought to the table or in our case, on the floor. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how we sat down on the floor and we ate. We ate a lot of dry fish because that's what my grandmother could afford. It was mm-hmm. cheap. Mm-hmm. And when we would eat like meat, it would be a special day. And uh, probably business was good that day because mm-hmm. aside from the milk, she also used to make, I don't know, I think you guys call them puff puff. We call uh-huh. them fritters. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> we would have that. That's like my favorite memory, actually. I love eating fried <laughs> dough. It's like my favorite thing to eat. But once my mom made it, which is, I think, something that I've has stayed with me, she bought a house for her mother. I think it was a way for her to give back. It was completely opposite of how my grandmother was living. This was a three-bedroom house, living room, electricity, shower. We had tap water on the property, everything opposite, flushing toilet. Mm-hmm. We ha- we used to have a toiletry uh, by my grandmother. Now it was a flushing toilet. It was a total upgrade. Yeah. And it was humbling to see because my mom didn't buy her own first house. She bought her mother mm-hmm. the house. And from that, it was the time I, I was going to seventh grade. She took us with us now to the city. Mm-hmm. Well, she was more established, but because she has to still make a living, she put us all in boarding school. I have two other siblings. I'm the oldest. Yeah. So we were put in boarding school this way. She continued to you know, make a living for us. Mm-hmm. That's most of my childhood. Mm-hmm. I spent away from my mom a lot. <laughs> That's a very powerful story in terms of three generations of women. Mm-hmm. And I could see the influence of work ethics, survival skill. Mm-hmm. That your grandmother passed to your mom and then passed to you. And you had the advantage of learning from both of them. They're my reference points. Yes. At the same time, you learn. And, you know, how much, so much hardworking, powerful African women are, they live for their children. Oh, yes. I feel bad for her because it's such a huge trade-off. Mm-hmm. Because you want to be with your kids, but you really can't because at the same time, you are the sole provider. My mom became the sole provider for her whole entire family. Wow. She became very successful and she was providing for everybody, including her children. So I can't imagine the pressure 
that Jeez. she went through. And aside from that, you're not connecting with your kids that way. Yeah, like yeah. I always remember the feeling of, even to today, I don't have to talk to my mom every single day like other people do, mm-hmm. but I feel her love all yeah. the time. Yeah. So yeah. that's why even if she's going through something, I can feel it. Yeah, yeah. But it's something that it's been with us from the time I was young. I got used to not having her around. Mm. And in order for me to cope, I guess I just remembered how she made me feel when she was around Around all the time. Yes. Yes. And we have to look at the society set up in different parts of Africa, which is very similar when we look at it. And in most cases, they put so much emphasis on a boy child mm-hmm. that's supposed to be caring for the family, take over the family, care, do everything, without actually looking at what the contribution of children who are female, the contribution that they take care of their parents. Not only that, if some of them are even married, they take care of their in-laws at the same time. Yes. And we give yeah. them all those responsibilities without even acknowledging the struggle that they go through. Yeah. So that is the power. And I see that energy in you of that three generations. I said, you know, the survival skill, the work ethics, you know, the love you even pass on to your own children. Understanding that, you know, even though your mom may not be there, but you understood the reason why, because she's sacrificing herself for everybody to make life better for everybody. And that's very powerful. That is very powerful. What do you think you could pass on to so many of our young generation here with that kind of experience? It's a lot. Like, it's important to be ambitious. Mm-hmm. I love that my mom was very ambitious and she is the definition of what's possible. Mm-hmm. Like coming from where she came from, it is that definition is this is what's possible if you work hard, if you apply yourself and if you are courageous, I think that's Mm -hmm. what I would want to leave to the young people. Be courageous Mm -hmm. in everything you do. Everything doesn't have to be figured out. I don't think my mom knew when she left Mongo to go to Lusaka and then she lived in Zimbabwe for a little bit. Mm -hmm. She didn't know what was going to come. Mm -hmm. She was just courageous enough. I want something different for my children. I want something different for my mother, for my family. I want to, I guess, remove this poverty because we were in poverty. If I'm being frank, it was just, Mm -hmm. we were in poverty. I was sleeping on the floor every single day. And then from that, it was a whole upgrade when I came to Lusaka. Mm -hmm. My mom has a four bedroom house, self-contained bedroom. And it was things that we've never grew up around. Yeah, yeah. And we used to see that, other people experienced that, but now me experiencing it and all of a sudden she's going to Dubai before it even became popular. And when I'm talking to people about it, they're like, where's Dubai? I didn't even know myself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. But if anything, it's being courageous and believing in oneself. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's what I've learned from my mom, I think I, I think that's the way I apply myself with everything. Yeah, yeah. Being an immigrant is courageous. <laughs> yeah, of, which is what I'm going to ask you next, you know, because, <laughs> you know, when you have to come to a new country and try to figure things out by yourself and, you know, without family, without anybody, is also very courageous, you know, and uh, yes. it's something to appreciate. There's a saying in my place, in my culture that says, which is in my language, Yoruba, meaning that, 
poverty does not kill. But when you are very hardworking, you can move out of poverty and build yeah. a better life for yourself. You know, it's only stupidity that kills people. But poverty does not kill. It actually makes you stronger. You know, so that's what it is. So, and then you left, you came to America. Yes, after graduating from high school, I stayed a little bit with my mom, but then the dream was to come here. Okay. So I came here and uh, it was really a total shock because of what I was not told or me not doing my research. I was naive, young, and I'm expecting, you know, so much. My expectation level was very high. I'm not going to lie. From the airport to where I was staying in the Bronx, total disappointment. <laughs> 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 like I did. <laughs> no, like total disappointment because mm-hmm. you ca- I'd been to South Africa before I came here. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to Santon, you're seeing all these gated communities, lovely looking mm-hmm. and just beautiful. And mm-hmm. then I come here, it's a flat. We knock at the flat mm-hmm. where I was supposed oh, my aunt was waiting for me, my mom's young yes. sister. And I'm looking outside. I'm just like, I don't even know if I'm in the wrong uh, Here <laughs> I was scared the taxi van leaving and it was just very surprising mm-hmm. as to this is not the America we see on TV on TV compared right. to the reality of it mm-hmm. so right away uh, I had to check in with my expectations and my reality yeah. it was yeah. really going down from there yeah and then my aunt told me her experience of how mm-hmm. they were living in one house mm-hmm. I'm like now you tell us After all of this, because she was, before I came, everything looked like it was just, she was having an amazing life Mm -hmm. here in America. Mm -hmm. She was sending money to her mother. She Mm -hmm. used to buy us clothes. She would send us very nice clothes. So I just thought, you know, life is beautiful in Mm -hmm. America. It's Mm -hmm. easy to make money. Then from that, she introduced us to, I came with my mom's cousin. Okay. She introduced us to an agency to look for work. But even with that, the way because of the way I looked, I looked very, very young compared to other kids here. Mm-hmm. Now I understand it because of how kids look here, they grow very fast. Yeah. Whatever it is. Plus yeah. I was very skinny. I looked like I was 12, 15. <laughs> <That is it. laughs> yes. So it was hard for me to get a job. Mm. I even went to an extent of making a copy of my passport, writing that I was like, I think, 20 something <laughs> years old in it. I don't really remember. But finally, when I got hired, the lady didn't even care because she had five kids when wow. she hired me. So that was another shock. I'm like, why do you have five kids in my head? <laughs> why do you have five kids? This is not what I learned in school. They told me <laughs> you only get like two kids and that's it. <laughs> but filthy rich family. It was a whole total experience, a uh, mm. culture shock in all different levels. The way they spoke, the nuances of uh, the English, of American English compared yes. to my British English. Yes. For instance, just for the fun of it, she, she asked mm. me to pass her a napkin. You know, back home, napkin is for the kids. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. they're babies, yeah. put yeah. on, on babies. <laughs> you have to find that one napkin. <laughs> So I was looking around. I'm like, where is this napkin? Because she has a, a six-month-old. So the ages of the kids were from six months all mm-hmm. the way to, I think, her daughter was either seven or eight or something mm-hmm. like that. And 
when she asked for that, I was just looking around. If she was not pointing, I would not put it two and two together. Oh, wow. That's what she meant. Aside from that, back home, we eat with our people that work for us. Yeah, we, yeah. we eat with them at the same table. She had yeah. told me to sit in the kitchen by myself and to look through the window. When they finish, for me to go collect the place. So I served them. I came, my first day I came in around five and you know that time it was december for me yeah, yeah. and december you know it gets dark here like four dark here, yeah, dark. Yeah, yeah. so i was serving them dinner we made dinner together i served them so i'm actually getting my my little plate going to sit they're like no 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 no. you sit in the kitchen and you watch us i was crying i didn't even eat my food i was crying i don't even know like to today i still get teary talking Why, about can you imagine because of how it made me feel because but that was her way but still it just made me feel like my mom has two housekeepers in her house Mm -hmm. and now I'm a servant in someone's house all of a sudden yeah and that's what is so sad when we immigrants come to this country no matter what status that you came Mm -hmm. that you were in your country when you come here you have to start all over and then the people that you're going to meet and they, you're going to work for them, whether you're working in a store or you're working for somebody that's helping the house, the way they will treat you. I was so humbled. It was such a humbling moment for me. And then the hours were so excruciating. Taking care of five kids. I was a baby myself. And then taking care of five mm-hmm. kids from 6 a.m. to 12 a.m., six days a week. My fit. I, I couldn't even feel my legs. I lost so much. I was skinny already. <laughs> I look like this. I was skinny already. My mom could sense, again, with my mom, there's a connection that you have with your yeah, parents. Yeah, with your, yeah. I think not even with your parents. The mother part of it. There's just this connection that you have with your yeah, child. Yeah, yeah. That's It's unspoken. And you can always tell there's something wrong. Wrong. That's right. She would call almost every single day to check on me. And she's like, you know, you have that return ticket. But me, I wanted to make a life for myself. My mom was very successful at the time. I wanted to have my own identity. And I love what she always used to say. She's like, you have to make your own living. She didn't want us to depend on her success. She wanted us to find our own. And my my own identity was this. Mm -hmm. Me coming here making my own living and yeah. I was going to make it <laughs> no matter what <laughs> no matter what that was my first job in America it was so shocking every single day I didn't share anything with my aunt because I was living with my aunt mm-hmm. um, the lady was very unhappy I get it having been married having children you are juggling so much and then you have this person in your house who's new to the country doesn't respond the way you expect someone to respond because of so much respect that we have back home. I never responded to her. So it was such a shock for me. She expected me to talk back to her, argue back with her. I couldn't do that. I was always quiet. So she talked down to me. It was so much pressure. But that is so inhumane, which I believe is a white family. Yes. You know, this person you put in uh, care for your children. Yep. Who are the most important person Asset. in your life? Asset yep. in your life. And mm-hmm. then you mistreat that person. 
The arrogancy in you does not give you that thinking of humanity and said, you know, this is the person, this is another person's child that is caring for my child. Mm -hmm. Let me treat that person with sense of respect. Let me treat that person with respect and dignity because I trust that person to care for my child. Yeah. It did not work out for her that way. I lasted six months only with her. But every single day was such a struggle. And the fact that I only used to go home on Sundays and then come back Monday morning. So it was like a few hours. Yeah, it was leaving. And she was actually, her and her husband were going to have me, oh, we're going to file for you to stay with us so you could leave. I was like, this is not the plan. I already knew what my plan was. Like my dream was not to be a housekeeper and a babysitter because I was doing both babysitting and housekeeping. And this was a huge mansion. When you talk about money, this was money, generation to generation mm-hmm. type of money. Intergenerational wealth. Yes, generational wealth. They had a huge business in Manhattan. So that has been going on and her husband was the one running that. And for her, anything that she needed, when you talk about wealth, if she needed bikini wax, she needs manicure, pedicure, everybody came to the house to do that. Does she work? No, she was home. That you're working for. Mm -hmm. The privileged family that you work for at that time. And the kind of treatment, even years ago, I think over 15 years ago, there was a rally that was going on in New York about home health workers who are Mm -hmm. helping nannies and living nanny who are helping many of these rich family take care of their children. Yeah. Whereby they make humongous money, income. But yeah. they are paying the people peanuts. Yes. What? I, 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 was, children. I was making um three fifty for six days. Three fifty for six days. How can you break that down per hour? One of the interviews, I think uh Nosa had uh, broke it down. I think it was like three dollars per hour or something. Or he cannot or, even be. For four hours or something. But at the time, I think that was the minimum wage because that was in 2002, 2003. Can you? No, even though it's, it's different when somebody is sleeping in your house, caring for your children, True. and you entrust the safety of your children to that person. Yep. And she never touched her children. Like when we talk about not touching, not touching her children, everything was just like, oh, he, he needs diaper change. Oh, he, they, they need bathing. Oh, then there was like no connection. Only when the kids, you know, the kids want to go to their mother. And stuff. Yeah. Only when the kids would, well, oh, you need to come and get the kids. They are disturbing my sleep, blah, blah, blah. It was a whole lot. Yeah. With that experience, I learned so much from it. Even when I quit my job, when I finally quit my job, which was such a hassle too, which I talk about it on Concrete Pastures, this lady refused. I gave her two weeks because at the time I didn't know how to resign in America, Mm -hmm. the rules and all of that. Again, my community was not informed. So I just gave her my two weeks verbally. I'm going to be quitting on this day two weeks from now. Hmm. She said, okay. So for me, that's an agreement. Yeah. The two weeks is almost coming. She tells me, oh, we are having a trip going to uh, Passover in Florida. I said, okay, I'm going to go. But when I come back, that's it. All of a sudden, she doesn't remember. She said, you never gave me my the two weeks. I need you to give me like a month or two. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to get paid. It takes me a while to get pissed off. It takes so much 
because it takes a lot of energy for me to be pissed off. She pissed me off so much. And at the time, I was almost forgetting that she's an adult. <laughs> but you just imagine, and you can walk away anytime. She's going to tell you yeah. that you cannot leave. You cannot leave. So at the time, she had my passport with her because we were traveling. So we get in the limousine, we go to Florida, and it was a huge, beautiful hotel. These are people with money, and we were staying in Miami South. And uh, we right by the beach, and I didn't even see the beauty. If you ask me what beauty, the only time I remember that hotel, it's when I was watching Scarface. And I remember, I'm like, oh my God, that's the hotel we stayed at. That's the only time. Other than that, I don't even remember. The only thing I remember was approaching her when we got to Florida to revisit the conversation. And I told her, I am quitting when we go back to New York. I cannot live like this with you because I love your children, but you are making my life very miserable. She Mm -hmm. tells me I'm not going to pay you. So that's the time I blurted to her. Slavery ended a long time ago. Wow. And then she was gasping for, you know, the white people. Yeah. Oh my God. Can you believe what I she think she was going to pass out. Yes. And oh, then she you goes, need to oh. read this book. I just found it. It's called Behold <laughs> the Dreamer. Behold oh, the, the Dreamer. She, the I Dreamer? Think yeah, the Dreamer. I think she's from Cameroon. Her name is Mbolo Mbue. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. I need to connect with her. <laughs> you need to read. I actually reading a second book now, How Beautiful We Were. She's talking about exploitation of Africa at Zenobu. But if you read this book, it will bring back a lot of memories. Oh, my God. I'm definitely going to be reading this book. Okay. Because whenever I have interviews, every time Uh I tell this story very different because my memories come out very differently also with it. Yeah. But it was very, I don't even know to put in words how it was. Like for me, the shock of it or and the entitlement of this woman, and how she mm-hmm. was treating me because I was young, she took advantage. And at that point, when she had told me she was not going to give me my passport back and not pay me, I was losing my mind. But the whole idea is that you think you own somebody. And this story that you're telling, if you bring it up and mention their name, they will deny everything. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh-huh. They are the best of the people. In the face of the this modern day, you want to enslave somebody. Yes. Because you think you have that power to be able to do that. Yes. And many people may not know that many immigrants left their countries to migrate to another countries for a better life or as a student to obtain education. Some migrate due to civil war, civil unrest, conflict, or environmental degradation as well to escape hunger and poverty. To find a new economic opportunity. That's why people migrate. It's not because they migrate because, you know, for somebody to come in and just take advantage of other human beings. Where's your humanity in the first place? Yeah. If it's somebody of American heritage who has been here, let's assume African-American person who has been here for years and their ancestors have been here for over 500 years, you won't even do that kind of thing towards them Mm -hmm. because you know your story will be out within no time. Yes. No, she took advantage, honestly. And it's just sad to have it. That's how now I feel free to even talk about it because I don't want anybody to... Mm -hmm. go through it 
And because after that, I when I my second job, it, I was still doing babysitting, but I had set my standards. Yes, yes, because said, she taught you. Oh yeah, she taught me very well. But everybody knew, like with her, everybody knew that no one wanted to work for her. That's why she just had to settle with me. She knew I couldn't really do a, a thousand yeah. percent of the work because yeah. the house was big. And then the children is five of them. How do you attend to five kids? I, one thing she, <laughs> because uh, you know, which, uh, <laughs> there's a difference between an housekeeper or, you know, somebody caring for their baby. Because I've heard those stories at that time when many of these nannies, we're protesting downtown and yeah. they're saying, I'm just here to take care of your children. I'm not here to clean your house or oh, no. cook your food. That yeah. is not part of my job. My mm -hmm. job is just to take care of your children. If you need somebody to clean your house, to do all those other household chores that you needed, you have to get somebody else to do that. No, my dear, I did everything. Cleaning, watching my the two-year-old now that i have a three-year-old i don't even know how i did it <laughs> with the six-month-old and then fridays come it would be time to cook shabbat everything we were cooking everything oh so they are jewish family mm -hmm. we were cooking but they were not as religious as um like the the ones not too far from my neighborhood yeah acidic yeah, it's Hasidic mm -hmm. uh, Jews. Mm -hmm. But they all did observe, but not to that. Not to that extent, yeah. Yes. So <laughs> apart from this is really, I could sit down here and talk to you about that experience alone <laughs> on itself. <laughs> so this is a platform where we not only talk about uncomfortable conversation, we also talk about immigrant experience in the diaspora. What would you say, apart from this <laughs> this experience working with this family, that you work with this family in the past, what would you say are some of the challenges or struggle of being African immigrant in woman in America? I think overall is being compared to African Americans. Mm -hmm. And also for me being underestimated. Yeah. And a lot of the times I also point the finger to myself, the way I showed up in certain places, feeling mm -hmm. like I didn't belong, even though I've worked my tail off to get there. Yes. So I would have this feeling as do I belong here do I not belong here America will call it imposter syndrome yes the imposter <laughs> syndrome I definitely had that and mm -hmm. I had to always take inventory of everything I have done to get to where I was at the time where I'm feeling the imposter syndrome and then just navigating through as whether it's immigration or whether it's my career path mm -hmm. it's just been my skin being discussed because where mm -hmm. I come from, it was, it was very, it was such a shock mm -hmm. for, for somebody to bring up. You and I, when we had our conversation, even somebody calling me racist, it, it was such a blow to my head to today because I don't even know what that looks like. Or I know that someone has been racist against me. I know what that yeah. sounds like and feels like. Yeah. But me being the other side to somebody else who's my fellow black person yeah. it yeah. was it's a blow to my head and in my country we don't know that mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. no idea and we have white people we have Indian people we have so many people Asian people we have all kinds of diversity now especially and mm -hmm. there's no talk of racism mm -hmm. like the way it is in America in America and having to deal with it and people having to actually tell you sometimes with how oh you speak very good English 
<laughs> just those type of comments and yeah it's been a learning process i would say throughout my whole journey of being mm-hmm. an immigrant mm-hmm. it's always constantly boosting myself confidence telling myself i'm enough uh, yes. i'm good enough yes. I, I belong here yes and checking in with my imposter syndrome i'm like okay it's okay it's good i'm good mm-hmm. And yeah. that's that's very important. And imagine with our children, we have to build that within ourselves. And we oh. have to help our children to also overcome that, to talk a little bit about the experience of what it is to be Black in this country, which is so foreign, like you say, to many of us who are here. So it's a lot of work that needs to be done within our community. And with your ambition and with your positive outlook of the future, you know, suffering doesn't last forever. Oh, thank God. Yeah, thank God for that. <laughs> you know, thank God for the two giant role models that you had, your yeah. grandmother and your mom, let you prove that anybody could achieve anything if you work hard at it. You pull yourself out of such situation because you know there's a better opportunity out there. Today, you are not a financial center manager. <laughs> okay, in the bank. <laughs> For 15 uh-huh. years, I'm dancing as I'm talking uh-huh. about this. Okay, yeah. I'm growing. My head is growing as I'm talking about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, because, you know, nothing lasts forever. Nothing yeah. lasts forever. You okay? Yeah, so as an African immigrant female in a financial industry, how would you rate your experience in dealing with public, your customers, the corporate world, and fellow employees? Like I said before, I think the way I showed up, Like when I first started in my career, it was easy to move up. I started as a teller and then I became customer service rep, which is a banker these days. And then I became a supervisor at different banks and I moved from different banks, different roles. But when I got to assistant branch manager, who's the person that's under the branch manager, it was so hard to move up Mm. that space. There was a lot of, you have to grow more. Mm-hmm. Every time. But when I look at my peers, I was the top performer in the whole region. And I constantly had to prove myself, which is, it was very frustrating. I'm not going to lie. Very frustrating. I took in feedback, whatever feedback that I was being told, because I've been touched by so many people helping me grow in my career. Mm-hmm. And I respect everybody that was giving me feedback. But then when it came to getting into the role of getting promoted to branch manager. It was such a struggle. Yeah. Every time I showed up in a room, I even lost confidence in the whole thing of what happened to hard work because that's what that's my reference point. Hard work. Yeah. What about my results that I've been producing? I'm a top mm-hmm. producer. Mm-hmm. You talk about me all the time because mm-hmm. I produce for you. You get paid good money because mm-hmm. I bring in results. Mm. But then when it comes to the promotion, you're promoting somebody who just failed an audit. Yeah. You're promoting somebody who doesn't even contribute to the whole region as a whole. They can contribute in their branch, but the whole region as a whole, you're talking about Nancy. Yeah. So it was a challenge, but I finally understood that most of these roles and uh, for a lot of us women, that's objective mm-hmm. to what the person is looking for. Mm-hmm. And if that person only wants men at the table, that's who they had. Like our region had a lot of men in our region. Mm-hmm. 
you could count not even on one hand, like maybe one or two females were on the table. Yeah. And then the rest of us were all assistants yeah. as females. Yeah. And when I left the company, I got hired as a branch manager by a female and we had gone through a similar story because she was working her tail off and she was from Peru. Mm -hmm. When she hired me, she told me afterwards, Mm -hmm. she was telling me, she's like, I've worked for so many banks. She didn't even want to leave. The thing is you put in so much time in an organization, Mm -hmm. you want to stay with, with that company. You don't want to move from branch to branch. But then when people continue to undermine you, yes, you're taking the feedback, you grow, but the undermining continues. Mm -hmm. Oh, you need to speak better, but you're hiring someone who has even a heavier accent than me. Then what is it exactly Mm -hmm. that you're looking for? Mm -hmm. A lot of the times I did point at myself and I took care of the growth, whatever growth that I needed to do. But then at the end of the day, I had to look out for myself. Yes. I I was no longer looking out for the company. Mm -hmm. I just got fed up. Like I'm being taken advantage of, I'm producing, I'm bringing in so many numbers, I'm growing the business. This is what we are here for. We are here to run the business Mm -hmm. and grow our numbers. Everybody's eating well, except me. Mm -hmm. So when my Peruvian manager finally hired me and she was telling me about her story, we could definitely relate. I'm forever grateful for her. And then months later, six months later, the people that didn't hire me reach out with a higher pay. I'm telling you, this is a true story. With a big pay to buy me back into, oh, we have a branch for you. We want to give you this much money. And it's not about the money. It's about the loyalty of, of everything out. Because yes, before I didn't matter. Now I matter. Yeah. But And I even went from a big bank to a very small company. Very small yeah. company. And I yeah. felt valued there. I felt seen. It doesn't even matter the name, whether they are big or small. Yes. What is, matters mostly is that for you to have peace of mind. Yes. Where you yes. were. Oh, you yes. understand me? So because they took advantage of you. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, you're immigrants, you're a woman. Yeah. So you might not be qualified to be in the big men table. Yeah. Or big women table. Which I was and very much they, qualified. They will, yeah, they leave you in that space because that's where, oh, we just need that to continue to make us look good. Yes, yes. But she cannot and, be a leader. Yes, because every time they told me, oh, you got to bring more business. Okay, I got you. I'll go and get more business. And this was even outside of anybody that anybody could have thought about. Like I started to work with immigrants before even concrete pastures. Mm-hmm. So I was bringing as students from NYU, Baruch College, the new school, mm-hmm. all of those brought, and this is 6,000 students just from one school that wow. would come, that would go to our region. So imagine you're feeding all of those branches, if I'm being just transparent. Yeah. And then it's just one school. And then there's another school, which is the new school. There's a lot of money. These are kids with lots of money that are coming from all over the world their parents have a lot of money some kids even came with chauffeurs they live on park avenue so their money is making money for the bank so do you want me to continue to do this to hustle and then you don't want to promote me Hmm. Because you want to keep me in the background to continue to yeah you know what it doesn't even happen only within corporate America 
mm-hmm. when you go to you're working for any government when you're working for any city agency is the same mentality and i've said it before whether you you're talking about people of color who may be in the position of power they will also promote only their own yes or the close cliques among them yes yes whereby you know other people who are much more qualified to hold the position they won't promote them because they know how to manipulate the system even though they talk about oh you know when you're working for the city the state the government everybody's supposed to be treated on equal basis Mm -hmm. it's all the same games that they play around and i've seen many african immigrants who qualified for a position but they will never get the promotion yes they pass the exam, they will never call them from the list. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you know, we don't want anybody. You know, I've heard people, yeah, yeah, an African going to tell me what to do and all that stuff. You know, so these are the struggles that we're going through in this country. And we have to talk openly about it. We can't just sweep things under the rug. Oh, no, I'm tired of it. Because, you know, if you, as an African, you are not just struggling against the institutionalized racism, you're also struggling to survive among other immigrants. Yes. Among other people of color who continue, will look at you that you don't belong here. You as an African can't come and tell me what to do. Yeah. I see you. Everybody has to be according to some ladder of qualification to be because of your background or your race or your this and that. I I just don't understand. It's a very difficult situation. Yeah, it's been a journey. There had been a lot of tears, a lot of uh, celebrating when I finally like got there. I was just like, oh, my God. But it's been a lot of hard work, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of sacrifice. um, Because they don't give you a certain type of income without you sacrificing. You know how America is. It doesn't, there's no, you don't earn any penny for free. Yeah, yeah. Everything you have to work for. Everything you work for it. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. You know, that's so powerful. So what actually motivates your interest to start Concrete Pasture Podcast? Would you say that you learn and you continue to learn about immigrant strength and resiliency. That's what makes you start uh, the podcast. So to be honest with you, now that I'm doing it, I don't think there would be concrete pastures without my whole career of banking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just dawned on me. I'm doing an episode and it's amazing how God operates. Mm-hmm. Before going into banking, I was working for Bloomingdale's. I got fired from that job. My thinking was for me to spend like maybe a year or two there mm-hmm. or something, but that cut is short. Mm. I get it now. Before I was so frustrated. I was like, oh my yeah. God, what yeah. happened? Blah, blah, blah. That was like my first firing of any job. And that was like, it destroyed me. But then I got a job to start working for Citibank mm-hmm. from that role. And I actually, season three, I actually have an episode on that. Anybody can listen to it on how it went down at Bloomingdale's mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But the point is, there's certain things that happen in your life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't really see them until uh, something else happens and you can connect the two together. So with Concrete Pastures, I needed to go through the whole journey of being in my corporate world Mm -hmm. first of all to learn how to talk to people Mm -hmm. I have a list 
it's been a disadvantage for me for a very long time, even though people say they don't notice it or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's been self-taught. It's been something that I've been working on ever since I was a little girl, teaching myself how to pronounce things. Kids made fun of me in school about it. Oh, pronounce this word when when they knew I couldn't pronounce it. But it's been something that has been a struggle. But being in a corporate world, it pushed Mm -hmm. me to be able to have courage to speak in front of people, Mm -hmm. even though it's still a struggle. (laughs) <laughs> I still get lots of butterflies. I, I'm hyperventilating. I'm like, oh my God. You're doing fine. <laughs> but it gave me the confidence to be able to to be behind the mic and be able to tell my story. Yeah. But prior to doing concrete pastures, I think the death of my marriage, which I feel I think it was a death, concrete pastures was born from that. Mm-hmm. And I say that because Years ago, 2013, because of what I went through in the beginning of my immigrant journey, I wanted to write a book. That was the beginning of it. And life happened. We had my daughter 2014. So I forgot about that. And then when I was going through my healing journey uh, of being in a divorce, this came in by force. Mm. Like, it's almost like this is what God wanted all along. Yeah to get me to this point as to, because before a marriage gets, you file for divorce, there's so much that happens between that. And in order for you to just throw in the towel and like, okay, this is it. it. So God has showed me so many signs. And once I threw in the towel and I was now on my healing journey, God woke this up. You got to motivate people. Yes. It was a struggle. I'm not going to lie. I didn't yeah. want to do it because yeah. I don't think I was in the right place to motivate others mm-hmm. when I needed motivation myself. Mm-hmm. And now after it's almost a year, I didn't even realize <laughs> <laughs> next month, <laughs> next month we're hitting a year. I can't believe it still. Concrete Passion has been able to feed my soul. It gives me so much joy, amazing guests like yourself and so many others that have been able to feed my soul, talking to people. I just have to trust the process. Yeah, you know, and you're doing so well because you heal yourself when you give yourself to others. Yes. People don't realize when you give yourself to others, you're also healing your pain on the inside. Yes. So we are all healing together and we have to continue to empower ourselves. And it is tough enough as an immigrant living in a country, in most cases without close relatives, such as parents, siblings, or any other extended family. And there's no village or community that have commonality in value system. Mm -mm. It's even tougher being a single parent, raising children in a country with limited or no family support. Most time, it is not even in your plan to become a single parent. But it oh, happened. yeah, this was not in the plans. This was you not know. in the plans at all. Yeah, and we, it was, I had such a denial in the beginning. It was such a disbelief for me. I'm like, why is this happening? Because you know how, like I've explained, raised by single parents, my grandmother, my mother. And I wanted this whole union to work out for my kids, yeah. for them to experience what I never experienced. Yeah. So my daughter got to experience it more than my son. Yeah. And I think she misses that 
and during my healing journey, I needed to understand that she also has a time of healing. Yes. That's different mm-hmm. from mine. Yes. And also second guessing myself because I had this codependent. When you are married, it's like you grow to be codependent relationship. First, when he met me, I was super independent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I've been alone most of my life. Mm -hmm. And now I gave into, you know, codependence. And then second guessing myself being a single mother. Am I doing this right? And my trade-offs. Yeah. Because I wanted to be everywhere. At mm-hmm. the same time. So I'm like, how are we going to do concrete pastures? How are we going to do work? How are we going to be here for these yeah. two kids and be able to also feed my soul? Because I yeah. felt like I lost myself in the marriage without even the other person, you know, fault. It was just me mm-hmm. giving so much of myself. Mm-hmm. I felt like mm-hmm. because I didn't know how to navigate everything. Yes. In terms yes. of uh, raising my my daughter first, it changed our dynamic of the relationship. Mm. And then my son came around, even became worse because our foundation had shifted. Yes, yes. And we never worked out on how to navigate raising our daughter the right mm-hmm. way. We just kind of felt our roles. And when my son came around, things just even became worse. Yeah, yeah. And then once I became a single mother, it was hard to to navigate that. Yeah. Now I'm I feel comfortable and yeah. I'm okay with not being everywhere at the same time for my kids. Yeah. I'm very careful with how I spend my time, mm-hmm. who I let into my space. Yes. Because all of my decisions impact my kids. Yes. So having time for my kids and having time for me was a hard time. For me in the beginning sometimes I didn't even cook for myself so now I'm going back mm. in, I'm cooking for myself more because I just used to cook for them they eat I'll probably maybe eat their leftovers so that was I was not taking care of myself wow. at all so now I've learned really to like take care of myself and I did an episode on single parenting that conversation really spoke to me yes because of how she actually navigated with her kids and how taking care of ourselves, we show up better for our children. Yeah. So Concrete Pastures has given so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not, it's not something easy. I mean, I've been a single parent for like maybe what now? Almost 22 years. Oh you my know, with my children by myself. And doing the best that I can. You know, yeah. you have no extended family, nobody. But, you know, you tend to build your own village. Yes. It does not have to be from your country does not have yeah. to be from Africa. You know, it may be somebody from other group of people, you know, that is unexpected that they will offer to yeah. be part of your support system for yourself. Yeah. You know, because it's not something easy being a single parent. But the most important thing is that do we want to continue with a relationship or a marriage that it will be detrimental to you as a person as well as on those children? What impact does that have to do? That's the part I had to really evaluate, think about, because as much as I wanted to have this family that everybody, you know, wants, Mm -hmm. but how is that serving me? How is that going to serve my daughter? Is it okay for things to happen the way they're happening to her mother and for her to watch that? And I didn't want to, for her to experience that in a way, because um, when I was young, Living with my grandmother, I would go visit my dad. My dad was married to my stepmother. Mm -hmm. 
And every time I would go to his house, when he got drunk, he would hit his wife. And when he would hit his wife, he would ask me, this is in the middle of the night. Mm. Like we're all sleeping. You know, back home, we sleep early. Eight o'clock, you're out. There's no really like watching TV late or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. You're going to sleep early. So we're sleeping. To me, it sounds like it's the middle of the night, even if maybe it might be nine o'clock or whatever it is. He would ask us, he would ask me especially, go get her shoes, go collect all her stuff over here. She needs to go. He's drunk out of his mind. So I would, I didn't want to get hit. I would go collect all her shoes, whatever he instructs. I'll go put it there. But then that brought such a shift with me and my mother, uh, my stepmother. Yeah. And I didn't like to see that. So I stopped going to visit Hmm. when I witnessed that. And it just came naturally to me. I'm like, I'm not going to subject myself to that. Like, Hmm. I just refused. I said, I'm not going to go to his house anymore. Hmm. My mom asked me one time, it's like, well, you don't go to visit your dad anymore? No. I didn't explain why. My mom was... Up to today, I think she doesn't really question too much of things. Yeah. She has given us a lot of independence mm-hmm. as to your decision is your, is your decision. Unless we are doing something wrong, then of course yeah. she'll jump in and yeah. correct us. Yeah. Yeah. But aside from that, if she feels that this is your decision, she'll honor your own your decision. And yeah. I love that, that she always, always yeah. just... And being that, you know, you experienced that as a child, you want to make sure that you have a good marriage because, you know, you didn't experience being, yeah. seeing your mom and your dad together. You also saw your dad abusing your stepmom and mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you are going to do something completely different. But yeah. sometimes our future is, you know, we can't plan it, you know, because sometimes whatever we plan, it comes out on the negative side. Yeah. And, you know, we come from a society whereby women, you know, we are being pressured. We have to be married. Just stay there, pray. Maybe one day it will change. Maybe, oh. one, <laughs> maybe one day his life will change around. God will just come down from heaven and say, yes. hey, switch you over. And I always tell women, you have to think about your own dignity, your own need. You have to think about your own self-worth and self-value and also your children. Maybe another day we could have that conversation. Like I always tell people, when I became a single parent, I said, listen, I'm not here to raise anybody's son. I'm only here to raise my own son because yeah. I cannot raise a grown man, mm, you know. True. So uh-huh. if anybody feels like, oh, you know, this person, you are not staying with your husband, find him another woman. Go ahead. But for me, I know what my self-worth is. I know how I want life to be for myself and my children. And if I cannot get that in that household, that it may be toxic, why am I staying there? Mm-hmm. So it's something that we need to actually continue to talk about in our community because there's so many women living in that situation. Oh, yes. You know, uh, I think it's the shame because when I finally filed for divorce, it was the shame of explaining myself because we want it all. We, mm-hmm. I'm successful. I have my two beautiful kids. Mm-hmm. I have a husband. You want to explain all of this so nice to people and it comes out picture perfect to other people. But then I'm miserable at the end of the day. And then the shame of explaining that was just, Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You see, and I think your story, you know, like I said, we help many other members of our community, both men and women. What would you say are the joy that you feel waking up daily with your two beautiful children who are happy and healthy? What is the oh. joy? Ah, the joy, the unconditional love that they give me. Yes. Honestly, they give me purpose every single day. They are the reason I'm still here uh, doing this. Because when you go through a death of a marriage, you have that grieving period. And there's so many things that happen in, in that space. But my children are the ones that I, they were my reference point at the time as mm. to, I want to be with my kids. They showed me so much love. They comforted me. My daughter, like I tell my story on Concrete Pastures also, my healing journey. My daughter was constantly with me. I had to embrace the part that if I'm going to... They have to see it all, yes. uh, that it's okay to be sad and it's yes. okay to not feel okay because mm-hmm. I want my daughter to feel this because I've always mm-hmm. grown up hiding my feelings. Yes. Also, yes. that's the part because everybody just tells you mm-hmm. toughen up and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But in these moments, I was really uh, vulnerable with my daughter. If I'm not feeling well, I would tell her I was not feeling well because my son is very young. So with my daughter, she understood. Mm-hmm. And even when my healing started to get better. She was seeing the progress. She's like, oh, mommy, you didn't cry today. You, This is good. It <laughs> was heartbreaking, but it was good for me to actually that yes. she noticed this. Yes. So yes. we are alone here in our foreign countries where we choose to live. Yes. So whether you have young children or you have older children, I think be vulnerable when you're going through any mm-hmm, pain. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. way they can support you. I think that's yeah. what I learned from this experience. Because yeah, yeah. I wanted my mom, I wanted my immediate family to be close, yeah. but that was impossible. Yeah. I can want what I want, but my reality was I only yeah. have my little babies with yeah. me. Yeah. And those yeah. are the ones that were comforting me and just feeling their love and mm-hmm. even the people that we are not around, like my mom, as always, I feel her love all mm-hmm. the time. I might not miss her every single day. She's always with me, but I, mm-hmm. I can feel it. Yeah. And I, I will say your background, such as your family upbringing, self-discipline and resiliency has helped you to develop ability to overcome all this adversity and oh, yeah. just positively to a new life. I believe so. I'm into that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, things with, that resilient is definitely one of that, and being courageous. Mm-hmm. I think that rings throughout my life. Being courageous, taking one step at a time, uh, no matter how fearful it is. Doing concrete pressures is yeah. scary. Yeah, the it first is, time is. I launched, the level of, of anxiety I had. You would not believe because I'm exposing myself because mostly I told my story, like the beginning of episodes. Yeah. Concrete pastures are mostly my story. And I was not afraid for my story. It's just how people were going to receive it. it. But I had to tell myself, I'm not here to do God's work. I'm not here to serve everybody. Yeah. If it's one person, it's two people. That's okay. Who could benefit from it? Yes. Mm-hmm. So as as long as I had that in the back of my head and my, my mentor also, she had said the power of one listener, that encouraged me to today. It encouraged me to move forward because mm-hmm. some days I don't feel like it. 
Yeah, yeah. And I'm tired. I have a full time job. I have my two mm, kids, yeah, and yeah. I have to encourage myself as to that's what that one person that one, that needs to listen to this yeah, story. Yeah. So yeah. you gotta record. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. You know, you will find some people who will listen, and some people won't listen. You know, so. But the most important thing is that you know you're changing other people's life and you helping out. And I've listened to many of your episodes, especially on Sunday when you release it. Believe me, I was the one first one who always click on it because I'm in the kitchen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so you much. Know, and I find many of those stories very moving. And uh, the way you even as a host, you really give uh, your guests the voice, you know, for them to speak up and express themselves, which is very positive, you oh, know. So. <laughs> thank you so much. This Sunday, we have a two-hour finale for, for season two. It's oh, gonna okay. Be... I'm going to be looking forward to oh, it. Oh, my God. I um, it, it was one of the toughest conversations I've ever had on this platform. So as a single parent with two beautiful children, how do you balance between two heritage? From their father's side... <laughs> your side how do you balance their father's side is taken care of i'll tell you that okay because my daughter when she was born three months after when i went back to work mm-hmm. her grandparents were taking care of her okay so she knows how to speak the language she knows the food everything what language uh she speaks ukrainian she oh okay Russian. okay uh, Russian. but they are ukrainian they, they speak okay. russian on my side i tried to teach her my language in the beginning but then she was switching it between me and her dad at the time. <laughs> so I pulled back because her dad used to speak to her, her grandparents. Mm-hmm. I didn't really spend more time with her at the time. Yeah, yeah. I spent more time at work than at home. Now I'm creating different traditions. I'm not only exposing both of my kids to Zambia, I'm exposing yeah. her to the whole of Africa. So mm-hmm. YouTube has been really good in terms of storytelling. I'm yeah. going back to the old stories, like the way mm-hmm. my mom used to tell me yeah. bedtime stories, yeah. my grandmother. Yeah. I'm so grateful, like content that's on YouTube. It's amazing. So we have those stories, the African stories. There's actually Queens of Africa now on Netflix, which I'm okay. watching with her. So she okay. understands. I'm learning at the same time as her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the music, I play a lot of African music, a lot. And just having this open dialogue with my daughter. Yes. For yes. her to be able to be free to ask mm-hmm. uh, certain questions. She asked a lot about Zambia. She asked a lot about my mother, my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Even when she asked me, she was shocked. She asked me, so how old is your grandmother? I told her, I don't know. <laughs> how you don't know? I'm like, that's tradition. We didn't ask questions like that. too, because mm-hmm. And you could see the the differences in generation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she asked every question and I'm like, uh, we, we don't really ask questions to our mm-hmm. grown-ups that way mm-hmm. as to how mm-hmm. old they are. I don't even think my grandmother knows how old she is because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we did not celebrate birthdays until yes. later. But yeah, no, I'm definitely exposing them. I'm hopeful that, I'm sh- that we're going to go back home so they can experience Africa as a whole. But yeah, definitely. Uh, their father's side is constantly mm-hmm. there. My son yeah. is in Russian daycare, so he's learning okay. also the Russian, the, the Russian um, yeah. language. This way they can communicate with yeah. her, with the sister. Okay. And then with me, 
uh, I've made it a habit now with my daughter. She learns two words a day. Yeah. yeah. So are you also talking out to them about, because they are biracial, about identity? You know, they're still young. So with my daughter, I had to talk to her about why she looks different from mm-hmm. other kids. And uh, just the difference of why other people look different than her. Mm-hmm. But she kept asking that. But she understands because her, her dad is white, her mom is black. And then and making her understand where I'm from, mm-hmm. where her father is from, and then the culture here in America where she lives, everybody looks different. Mm-hmm. She recently was called a name in school by a boy because of how she looks and because of her hair. So that conversation came in handy because she knew how to handle herself. Yes. And she looked at the boy, they were sit together like that. Yeah. Her teacher texted me telling me, oh, the boy called her this name. And she basically was, she put him in his place as That's to, true. I am mixed. I need you to understand that. Mm-hmm. And with that, I felt bad because where this child is coming from is what this child is being taught in their home or what they're hearing from their yeah. home mm-hmm. and they're bringing it to school. Mm-hmm. It, it just broke my heart, but I love the way my daughter mm-hmm. handled herself mm-hmm. in, in that instance. She was upset about it. Yeah. She had question, we had to talk further about it and mm-hmm. I had to talk to her teacher about it because mm-hmm. she is the only black person in her class. Mm-hmm. And I think you can count on one hand how many black kids are in their school. Yeah. And that is the struggle of uh, many of our children. I remember when my kids were in school, actually, I started them in the Bronx here. They were going to school with, you know, mostly Black people, you know, people from the Caribbean, from the island. And then I got information about schools in Manhattan, Mm. and I was able to apply for private school for them, which is completely different environment, mostly white kids and, you know. So yeah. then you have to battle, talk about issue of race, you know, a lot of all these other things. And then you have your culture and your own value system that you want to be able to implement into your children, you know, apart from issue of race. But there's so many other things that you want to implement mm-hmm. your own value system that will actually clash with the dominant <laughs> value. How they, you know, so how, how can someone walk through all that? How are you being able to walk through all that? I think having an open dialogue with your children, mm-hmm. for them to be free to ask any questions and trusting. Like for me, once I had a conversation with my daughter, even before this incident happened in school, mm-hmm. it was also trusting her that she's able to handle herself. Yeah. Because we cannot continue to ignore yeah. that it's okay for you to just ignore the person. Yes. No, I need for her to also respond Mm-hmm. to someone if they say something inappropriate to her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because he went about her looks and how she looked mm-hmm. well girl looks are everything for us yes yes <laughs> so if you're going to attack the way she looks i need for her to be able to understand and mm-hmm. be able to respond to the person yeah. not stoop to their level but mm-hmm. make them understand, understand. like you need to be informed yeah. Yeah. or you need to behave better than what you do, you, yeah. you're, you're doing right now. Yeah. Have you thought about even in school getting involved with, uh, you know, uh, talking about diversity, talking to other parents or having, you know, conversation about I it? did talk to her teacher about mm-hmm. it. 
I did. It's because of the limits with my time. Yeah. I wanted to do that, but then I took it upon myself to talk to her mm-hmm. teacher because yeah. I don't think she's a white woman. I don't think she understands. Yeah. She loves my daughter. She raves yeah. about my daughter, yeah. but yeah. she does not understand what my daughter is going through because mm-hmm. that's not her journey. Yeah. She's yeah. never been through that. That so she can't. I can relate to my daughter, mm-hmm. but she cannot relate to my daughter mm-hmm. in true. that way. That's so true. even when the way she solved the problem was just to shut the boy up over there. She make him sit on the other side and she oh, moved yeah. her to go yeah. sit somewhere else yeah. this way. They're not at the same table. Yeah. Yeah. That was the resolving well, of the issue, uh, okay. but not really addressing the root mm-hmm. of what happened. Yeah. Like, okay, why did you say what you said to this girl? Yeah. Yeah. And then when she heard my side of things, then she was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be more conscious as to how I talk to your daughter yeah. and how I address things when it comes to anybody yeah. who's going to come yeah. talking to her in any way that's inappropriate. It's going to take a lot of time yeah. for people to understand how to handle either mixed kids or black kids. Yeah. Or black and kids. if they all go to all, all white mm-hmm. school. But I'm glad that you even listen to your daughter and she's able to come to you and feel comfortable to talk to you about it. And that's one thing that we African immigrants need to implement in our home. Because when my kids were in that school, on our way drive home, that's when we talk. Yes, I was same. Same, same. Mm-hmm. Our school, then they, you know, they talk about different things, whatever issue that is going on, I listen to them. And I will encourage many African immigrant parents, you need to listen to your children. Don't just tell them to ignore the challenges that they may be experienced from other group of people. They might even not be in a mixed race school whereby maybe they're mostly white. It could be also be in a school where majority are minorities that they continue to taunt them and, you know, uh, harass them or all that stuff. So it's for parents to actually create that time. The atmosphere, they have to feel comfortable enough. Mm I had to be very careful with that because growing up, I, without even words being said, mm-hmm. I don't think I was comfortable enough to share stuff like this, like with my mm-hmm. mom. Mm-hmm. It's different. Like it's very, there's things that are just unsaid and you yes. automatically feel uncomfortable to yes, tell yes. your mom or your grandmother. Like for me, I, I didn't share a lot about my school. Mm-hmm. Like even here, I still had that problem when even when I was getting abused by my first employer mm-hmm. and I couldn't share that with my aunt mm-hmm. the first time my sister heard the story of my first job in America she was crying yeah she's yeah. like you never shared anything I'm like I, yeah. I couldn't because I was experiencing it and I was living it mm-hmm. even when I was recording it mm-hmm. I now could release it yes. off my chest yeah yes and as we continue to open up doors for our children, I think they'll feel more free. We need to remove this whole thing of, it's okay, don't be bothered by that boy or that girl. We cannot brush things off. Yeah, and we have to create space for that conversation. That's yes, what 100%. Many of our community members, you have to create the space. The space yeah. in terms of, when my children were growing up, I don't pick up phone during the week when we come back home. Because that's when we talk to one another. We hear from one another. We mm-hmm. create a conversation with one another. They eat. They tell me about their day, driving home. And then when they come home, 
you know, it's not when your children are talking to somebody else is calling you or you're thinking about somebody else's issue or some other stuff. So it's to be able to concentrate at that time and, you know, take time to listen to them, which you are doing so beautifully. Yeah, you, are thank do- you. <laughs> you are doing so no, um, thank you. I ha- I had to be very intentional with how I was going to raise them by myself mm-hmm. and what opportunities my parents had and mm-hmm. what I would like to implement for my kids to mm-hmm. feel free. Because it's one thing that I admire that parents here in America do have that openness with their children. Yes, yes. yes. And we have to thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. I could keep you here for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you have thank so much you. Thank you so much. I really enjoy having this conversation with you. So how can our listener connect with you through your podcast, follow you on social media, connect with you in general? And as a podcast, I also listen to Concrete Passion because there's so much great, great guests that she, I don't know where she get them. I don't know how she connects with them, but she must have something that they just glue to her like a, <laughs> like a glue. And say, let me come to Concrete Passion. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Concrete Pastures, we are all over wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify. We have our social media, which is Instagram, Facebook. Our interviews are on Zoom. So the face-to-face ones, uh, the virtual ones, I would say, uh, which is face-to-face these days. (laughs) Since we cannot travel to a lot of countries, I've been able to travel through this uh, Mm -hmm. on um, YouTube. So for anybody who doesn't have the platforms for podcasts, we do have our Instagram as well, our YouTube, I'm sorry. And we have LinkedIn. You can also reach out through my email. If you'd like to be a guest, it's open. Mm -hmm. Concrete Pastures continues to grow. We are now actually even offering integrating services. You've heard our story. We want to help you successfully integrate in the U.S., here in New York especially. This is my world. I've lived here now 20 years. I can't even believe it when I say it. (laughs) It goes fast like this. That's what it is. It goes so fast. I know. I know. But it's it's been great. So anybody interested, please follow us, like, and if you listen to Concrete Pastures, please leave us a review. We love, we'd love to hear from you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming. So Pansa Pansa continue to normalize conversation about the importance of community engagement, about African immigrant experiences in America. As I always say, as we continue to publicly discuss issues within our community, we're shredding away stigma associated with uncomfortable dialogue. Thank you, Miss Nancy Molemwa Sisi, for coming to Pansa Pansa Podcast to talk about your experience in America and for sharing your wisdom with the member of our community. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. <laughs> yes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ponza Ponza Live Podcast. We hope to have you back with us in the next episode as we continue to explore the nuances of the African immigrant experience. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at talk at ponsaponsa.org. That is T-A-L-K at P-A-N-S-A, P-A-N-S-A dot org. And follow us on Instagram at ponsa.ponsaforum. Until next time, remember to spread kindness and love. Thank you and take care of yourselves.